Hey everybody, welcome to episode 46 of the Masterclass. My name is Cam and I'm here with Dave. Dave, what is up? Uh, it's cold outside. It is cold outside. Yeah. It's also January. It so. is January. And we've been spoiled to this point. It's actually been pretty nice, but it's uh, a bit chilly. Can I share a pet peeve with you to start the show off on a very negative foot, Dave? <laughs> sure. I, I have people that complain to me that, oh. it's, that it's cold outside, yet they refuse to dress appropriately for the cold. Uh, that is, And I have peeve. zero pity on these people because if they would dress appropriately they would not be so cold. My hands are cold. Then wear gloves. <laughs> Problem solved, right? Or the other one or is... Or put them in your pockets. That This is true. doesn't cost you any money to do that. It does not. The, the other one is when you do dress for the weather and you turn the heat down and other people want you to turn it up because they don't dress for the weather, particularly when you're in the car. Winter. Yes. It's my favorite season, Dave. <laughs> All right. Well, I had some homework that I assigned myself from last episode that I remembered about three hours ago, but I got it done. Ever the procrastinator I am, Dave. So the first one was uh, Dave brought up a question last week um, for the purpose solely of getting on my nerves um, and asked me, how long was Jesus actually dead? Because the verse that we read last week says that uh, like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be buried something like in the center of the earth or near the center of the earth or something very dramatic like that. And so Dave and I got to thinking and we realized, okay, crucified on Friday, buried you know, through Saturday and then on Sunday. Well, that's only technically two nights. And so I did a little research on the interwebs, and I came to this article on Bible.org um, that was, I think, written like, yeah, in 2000, January 1st, 2001. So when I was yeah, in high school, <laughs> many, many moons ago. But essentially, the... I will put a show or a note in the sh note in the show notes, a link in the show notes. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to this article. But essentially, what they um, I think defend fairly well is this idea that the language uh, in the original Greek leans towards a not a full three days, as in full 74 hours. Because if it's been a full 74 hours, then all of a sudden you're on the fourth day, which does not make sense with any of the retellings of the gospel. And so the Hebrew, uh, I guess, idea of three days and three nights is at some point on the third day. And so there's, um, they bring up Esther in which Esther mentioned fasting for three days and nights and said that she would then go to the king, which she did. But Esther five, one tells us clearly that it was on the third day that she went to the king, not after three days or on the fourth. Um, this simply illustrates the ways that Jews reckon time. Um, uh, another point says on the third day could not mean on the fourth day after a full 74 hours compare Luke 24 1 with 24 21 uh, we read that they arrived at the tomb on the third day and then in verse 21 it is stated that it is the third day this would be impossible to say if Jesus had stayed in the tomb for a full 72 hours for it would then be the fourth day his resurrection would have had to be after the third day 
and on the fourth, and then it gets down into some Greek stuff. Bum ba bum bum bum. Let me find it. Uh, it says here that uh, Matthew could have used a Greek construction here, uh, which would have stressed through uh, the duration of the third day. But using a preposition with a genitive, it basically means till or up to, and does not stress the idea of duration, meaning through. The genitive case typically stresses during, at, or within a time range. Uh, had the accusative been used alone or with a different preposition, it could have stressed extent or duration of time. So... You can read that article in full, but essentially what it states is that the way that we read three days and three nights, we take very literally because we are a on-the-clock type of culture. Everything is timed, right? Um, where in, based on the Greek that was used in the culture at the time, that could have just simply meant in three days I will rise. So if you believe that defense, then Jesus, in fact, was not lying. I would agree. And I think we've even talked about this before is that um, when we went to Haiti and we were adopting our son, it was not unusual for us to be told that someone will be there tomorrow. And tomorrow does not mean the next day in Haiti. It means sometime in the next few days that person will be there. And you cannot you cannot be upset with them when it's Tuesday and they'll tell you to be, they'll be there tomorrow and it's Wednesday and they're not there. And if they show up on Friday, they are perfectly within. I'll be there tomorrow. And it's like you said. I think our culture just is so um, literal. I mean, it's just it, it, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just how we um, operate, how we function, and um, you know, even in the job that I do. Uh, we say uh, to be on time is late, to be early is on time. There's definitely, a, if if you've got a 3 o'clock meeting, you're there at quarter till, 10 till, you don't walk in at 3 o'clock, you show up early. And so, I, I, I yeah, that's that's pretty much what I had. I didn't have exact exactly what it was, but it doesn't surprise me to hear what you're sharing. Yeah, and that, I mean goes even to um, my comments about the literal seven-day creation versus a non-literal. And, and uh, Justin um, actually messaged me this week asking me more about my views on that. And this, while not directly related to it, does communicate, I think, a potential proof that the days used in that story are not literal days you know, the, the, the 24 hour day that we think of, because, you know, the sun and the moon weren't even part of creation until a few days into, uh, God creating, um, what we know is, is the world around us. So, um, the next one that, uh, we brought up was, did Jesus go to hell while he was, mm-hmm. uh, dead? Not because he deserved it, but to, you know, share the gospel, I guess. And so the answer I came to, uh, thanks to a article by John Piper, was this. Not really, but he went somewhere else. And this is where things get interesting because I he talks a lot about stuff that I never really learned in my schooling. Um, but essentially this. Um, before 
this is this is my summary of the whole article, which I will link to in the show notes. Uh, before the resurrection of Christ, everyone who died went to Sheol. Sheol is not hell. No. So we need to start from there. And he said, Sheol is separated into two parts. One, where the wicked went. We'll call that Sheol proper. Uh, and then another where the non-wicked went, Abraham's bosom, the the fancy safe cul-de-sac just north of the city, if you will. When Christ died, he went down to Sheol, which is not hell, and brought the righteous with him to heaven. So his whole purpose in going and dying and, and resurrecting was to go down and break this place apart, to bring the righteous out and then to begin the condemnation of the unrighteous. So when believers die now, there's no waiting in Sheol any longer. Uh, Everyone just gets to go straight to God if they are deemed righteous. And he goes into much more detail and quotes or references a bunch of verses, which I'm not going to get into right now, Um, but the link will be in the show notes. Um, So it seems that Jesus was not taking a little vacation when he died. He was uh, working pretty hard to make things right, even in places we've never been. And hopefully we'll never go. So that's it for my homework, I think, unless you have any thoughts about that second piece. No. Um, the only thought I have is, is it the Apostles' Creed that says he descended into hell? Yeah. 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 That's, Yeah. I totally, I thought about that when I first assigned myself as homework and I didn't remember that until right now. I, and to be quite honest, I'm not going to argue it one way or the other because it, at the very least there was a separation from God, the father, whatever you want to call it, I would think to be separated. I mean, that would be good enough of a definition for hell for me to have, you know, have I think I've even heard it described as God turned his back on uh, Jesus. So, Yeah, it says, uh, it starts, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge living and the dead. And there, you see, on the third day. So, <laughs> but yeah, the whole, he descended into hell business that I, there's the Greek here, but I'm not going to try and translate that on the fly on air because it's been a few years. <laughs> um, but we will put that in the show notes as well. Awesome. So, all right. Well, David. Yes. I do believe it is time that we get to our main topic today. All right. Would you do the honors as always? We're at Matthew 12, verses 43 through 45. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. All right. Um, I I kind of don't know where to begin with this one. Like I have thoughts and I have and I have questions and I have things that I want to say, but I don't really know where a good clean starting point is because 
this is just kind of weird. Yeah, I, I guess my thought is is that I think it kind of sums up um, him sort of talking to the Pharisees. I mean, on uh, there are certainly a behind-the-scenes look of how things work in the spiritual realm. Um, but I think ultimately the point of all of this is so also will it be with this evil generation. And I think that's his, his point there is you're either for me or you're, or you're against me. Well, yeah, and that ties in with last week's topic right. where he compares, you know, this generation to um, Nineveh and he compares them um, with the Queen of the South and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And it's clear that he is trying to drive home the point that you guys are not all that you think you are. Right. You have this very cheap view of, of how good you think you are, but in reality, this is what's going on. Um, and there's just sometimes where I really appreciate how um, cryptic and mysterious Jesus can be. And there are other times where I'm not so much a fan <laughs> of that. And I wish he would just kind of say it straight. And um, I just think that this passage it's pretty clear to me what he's saying, but at the same time, this is an instance where I wish he would have just come out and said it straight. Um, so I guess, I guess my first question is, um, it's based on, well, it's based on the whole passage, I guess. Well, why can't unclear, unclean spirits find rest outside of ruining people? It's like they're so intent on screwing people over that once they get kicked out, they're like, oh, man, I'm kind of bored. Let me go get some of my friends, and then we'll really mess with this person. Yeah. Like that, that to me, just it communicates a whole lot about how difficult it is to break your sinful habits. Like every time that you, you know, uh, have a breakthrough or every time that you are, you know, surrounding yourself with godly people and you are spending time in scripture and you're spending time in prayer and you're spending time fasting or meditating or, or whatever it is that you need to do to build yourself up spiritually because that demon or that that sin has been removed from your life, they're coming back with more friends. You know? It's like you got in a fight in the playground with one kid and he goes and gets twelve more because he doesn't want to lose again. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, speaks volumes about my personal struggles with the sins in my life and why it seems like I can't ever break them. And when I do, there's always that overwhelming, um, not desire, that's not the right word, but that overwhelming pressure to give back into that sin at a later date. Mm-hmm. And so I read this, and it makes so much sense to me, but I also get super pissed why can't they just go somewhere else and be okay with being somewhere else? Why do they have to come try and ruin my life? Maybe I'm being selfish, Dave. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, I guess one of the things is, is I don't... So you think that outside of demon possession... So am I understanding this verse, these verses correctly? Isn't it talking about... And that's I'm trying to make sure I haven't made some sort of an assumption here. They say unclean spirit. I made the jump to sin. That's my jump. Okay. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it it seems to me that my 
and and I'll and I I'll, I'll put it this way: in my experience as a uh, high school and college kid that went on retreats, and then as a youth pastor who led retreats, and if if things go well, we're all going to kind of come back on what we refer to, you know, in the biz as a spiritual <laughs> high, right? Everyone's the retreat was awesome. There wasn't too much drama. Kids are are fired up. They're they're reading their Bibles because they want to, not because we're telling them to. And there's all of that stuff. And then you come back home, and it's like you just get kicked in the face mm-hmm. by crap. And it really is a test of was that just emotional mumbo jumbo that happened over the week you were gone, or is that really true spiritual resolve that has changed you? And so I, I was applying, I guess, that mentality towards his verse. I don't know if that's correct because, as you said, it's we're dealing with unclean spirits here. And so are we dealing with demon possession and exorcism like the the guys in the graveyard that Jesus cast out and then all the pigs went into the, mm-hmm. the lake? Or are we just dealing with the demonic realm in general in which Satan is doing everything he can to get his claws in us? I don't, I don't think it's incorrect, but as I read this, there's the focus, the... Texas, I believe, talking about um, being possessed by a demon. A uh, couple things that just you know stand out to me are uh, talking about it. It dwells there. Uh, it refers to uh, my house, uh, which I believe is is our body. And I think there would be um, if it was more just them coming and going versus actually possessing a person, um, what, what would be the big deal about them coming back or going? And, uh, I think in this verse, similar to, to what we were talking about with the conclusion is that ideally when Jesus casts out a demon, we have the Holy spirit in us. And so when that demon comes back, the reason that it doesn't come back is because it gets there and it goes, Oh, the Holy spirit's here. And so that gets to verse 44 where it says when it comes, it finds the house empty. Right. So that's how I huh. interpret that. So what you're saying is I'm being way too hard on myself. <laughs> and it's okay that I'm a sinner, Dave. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> uh, now at the same time, um, and it has been ages since I've read this, and I keep, it's, this is, it's jumping to the top of my list as I'm talking, is um, the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Uh, because it it definitely deals with um, demonic influence over our life uh, that is not demon possession, and and how they can have an impact on us. And see, that's kind of what I was yeah. reading this as. Yeah. I am not demon possessed. No. To the best of my knowledge, right. I am not. But <laughs> yet, I still struggle with uh, very specific recurring sins, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, anytime I feel like I've made improvement um, in those areas or I feel like God has really, you know, got my attention about those things, I always feel like, you know, I guess to use maybe, I don't know, a correct term or not, but like relapse into them harder. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. So I read that and that's what I thought. I was not, I didn't, I didn't go as far as demon possession because... You know, so again, as far as I know, that's never happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just maybe reaching there. But I, I see what you're saying about returning to the house from which I came and all that stuff. But, you know, 
don't know, should we get into the discussion of, of how we can have the Holy Spirit and still sin? Because I feel like that's not what I anticipated talking about tonight, but I think something that might be helpful to, uh, well, to me, frankly, if I can be selfish for a minute, but also hopefully to our listeners as well. Um, is, is that okay, Dave? Yeah. Okay. You were looking a little skeptical. <laughs> Um, so I guess my, my question then is, how can we as people say, you know, confess with our lips and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, Scripture says, um, receive the Holy Spirit, you know, be seen as righteous in God's eyes because of what Christ has done, and yet still sin? How does, how does that work? How does the Holy Spirit fit into that um, I hate to use the word formula, but I don't know what else to say. So how, how does that all work? Because it seems rather confusing, I think. I, I would certainly say it is um, confusing. Uh, and I don't, at this point, I'm not going to try to answer. Uh, but I guess what what I am reminded of is that, you know, Paul, who's an example for us, um, he dealt with this as well. And so I, I'm going to start there with Paul and say that if Paul struggled with sin and Paul talks about uh, the fact that we do the things that we don't want to do and... um you know, Romans 8 um, is one that I'm reminded of, um, that if Paul dealt with that and, and struggled with, with it and wrestled with it, then, who, you know, who are we to think that we shouldn't wrestle with it? So that would be the, the, the first part of um, where I would start with this. The second... Um, and I don't know that I'm going to do this justice. I'll have to correct myself because it wasn't actually Romans 7 that I was, or Romans 8 that I was thinking of. It was Romans 7. And uh, Romans 7, 14 uh, says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing." Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me, for in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. And so 
yes, we have the Holy Spirit in us, uh, but the reality is, is our sinful man is still right there um, alongside of us. And, I, you know, I it there are that element of just seeking God moment by moment. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's one of those deals. Can I go a minute without sinning? Probably. <laughs> Can I, you know, um, but ultimately my, my human sinful nature, uh, catches up with me. And I think it's just that tension that we live in of being in the flesh and not completely in the spiritual, um, realm. But I'm with you. It still doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I, well, not. I guess I shouldn't speak for you, but uh, I, based on what you had said, I, I get the whole. Okay, if the Holy Spirit is in me, then why am I constantly having this battle? And I just think it's because we're not completely there yet. We're not. We're not in heaven. We're not. Um, uh, I, mean, I don't know what it is that we're not. <laughs> we're not a lot of things. Uh, yes. Yeah, I just I get frustrated. Um, you know, looking back on what I was like when I was younger. You know, having all these grand plans for what I was going to be like when I was older and mature and an adult and and all of this sort of stuff, and then just kind of realizing like. I still have so far to go. And then I get caught in that cycle of trying to earn that mm-hmm. and not relying on, um, you know, God and the Holy Spirit to to build me into that, but that I can just go out there and do it. And, and, and part of that, I think, part of the struggle I have personally is, you know, I, I know the Bible really well. Uh, I've, you know read it a a lot and I have lots of education in it and I've taught it quite a bit. Um, not as much as you, but still quite a bit to the point where I feel like I don't have to read it anymore because I already know what it says, which is stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, but I fall into that trap, especially at church when people are, are, are teaching and, uh, you know, I feel like I know scripture better than they do, which is totally a pride game that I play with myself, um, that I try and cloak in, well, he can't teach me or she can't teach me because I know more. And it's just totally pride. That's all it is, is just yeah. straight up pride. Um, but one of the things that I struggle with is just this idea that I know what the Bible says, and that means I don't need to read it very often anymore. Um but even saying that out loud, I just want to be like, no, Cam, you're a giant idiot. Of course you need to keep reading it. Um, but I really do struggle with that. And I think that in and of itself prevents me from growing the way that I expect to be growing. You know, I have this this absurd idea that if I don't read the Bible and I don't pray very often, then I'm going to continue to grow as if I were doing those things on a regular basis because of how much I've done it in my past. Um and so I'm just kind of coming to the realization that that's just a really, really stupid and naive viewpoint to have about this. And, and perhaps why I'm still so um, confused as to why, you know, the the cycle of sin in my life is not diminishing. Because I'm not doing anything about it. <laughs> I'm relying on what... I'm relying on previous knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, Scripture... 
is living and breathing, right? Mm-hmm. As sharp as a double-edged sword. It, it, it has the way to cut through all of the bullcrap in my life to bring the truth to me. And if I'm not allowing it to do so, then I'm at best stagnant. And at worst, I am falling back into, you know, old, old habits that are not good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just been really good at tricking myself into thinking that I can get away with that because, dang it, I'm me. And, you know, I've got it going on or, you know, whatever dumb little catchphrase you want to throw on it. But anyways, it, that's just kind of where I'm at and maybe perhaps why I sprung that question on you <laughs> totally unexpectedly. Um, but this this passage, for whatever reason, really kind of brought attention to that in my life of man if i'm not if i'm not proactive then somebody else is and he does not have my best intentions in mind even even if this passage is talking about demon possession if he's that proactive about something so crazy as that i got to imagine he's just as if not more proactive about screwing with me Mm -hmm. on the sin level as opposed to you know bodily demon possession Right. Which I'm assuming is a lot more tricky than just making me do dumb stuff. <laughs> and I shouldn't say making me. I should say tempting me to do it than me doing and actively choosing to do the dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I take full ownership for my sin. Right. Like, it is my choice. Um, so I guess that's just kind of where that all came from. Yeah, and, you know, I uh, I spend devotional time in my utmost for his highest by... Oswald Chambers and uh, from January 18th. And this just, it just hit me. It, it says, beware of anything that competes with your loyalty for Jesus. And then this is the kind of the, the phrase that really hit me was the greatest competitor of true devotion to Jesus is the service we do for him. It is easier to serve than to pour out our lives completely for him. The goal of the call of God is not his satisfaction, not simply that we should do something for him. We are not sent to do battle for God, but to be used by God in his battles. Are we more devoted to service than we are to Jesus Christ himself? And I even think much of what what we're discussing kind of falls under that sense of... And I certainly do not claim to have the answer to this, and it's... Um, what I wrestle with and, 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 and try to figure out is like, how do I get to that place where it's just about being in him, in relationship with him? And, uh, because I, I so do get focused on what I can do for him, you know, versus being used by him. Because I, I have this like twisted idea that I have some say or some influence in it when the reality is, is that I don't. And I just think that's true on so many, so many levels with so many different things. I give myself far more credit than what I deserve and don't just rely on him and the Holy Spirit like I should. All right. Well, (laughs) part of me wanted a nice little neat little answer. But there isn't one, or, is there? Well, of course there's not. <laughs> that would just make this way too easy, wouldn't it? Um, but anyhow, so I guess from from us to you, I hope that, that you understand or have a um, 
I don't know if I hope you have a similar situation because that would mean that you're you're <laughs> you know wrestling with stuff. Um, but I just, for what it's worth, um, I hope you know that you are not alone in your either confusion or frustration or um, pride or or whatever the case may be. But you know, we we don't have all the answers and and we struggle. Um, to follow Jesus just like everybody else does. And just because we talk into microphones doesn't make us right or better. It just means that we have microphones. <laughs> um, and so I, I don't know. This this episode kind of took a, a twist that I was not expecting, and I'm sure Dave was not expecting either. Um, but I hope that somehow in that uh, unexpectedness that um, you at least know that that you're not doing this by yourself. Um, and you know, I, I have the tangible, you know, um, feeling that I'm not doing this by myself cause Dave is two feet away from me right now. <laughs> um, but you, uh, may not have that right now. And so I just hope that, um, you know, that, that Jesus loves you and that he desires to be with you. Even if like me, you are, um, maybe not pursuing him like you are able to. Um, and so I just want to encourage you to figure out what that looks like and who the people in your life are that could help you turn that around and go for it because it's never too late. You know, his grace is going to overcome any insufficiencies you may see in yourself. And then he already has done that. Um, as we've talked about here the last couple of weeks about him being crucified and buried and, and resurrected uh, for that very reason. So I don't know about you, Dave, but I don't know what else I have to say. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, a, a, a couple of different things that, and I don't know, maybe this is completely now in a, a, a totally different uh, tangent, but I, you know, I, I think there is an element of, um, you know, we battle not against flesh and blood, uh, but principalities. And, um, there is a spiritual, uh, warfare going on, uh, for our souls. And so, um, you have to be, um, you know, very intentional about our walk uh, we can't do things like just say, "Well, I know the answers," or I, "I've I've heard it in Sunday school." Uh, we have to continue uh, to pursue Him and to know Him. And um, I, you know, I think one of the things that is like kind of implicit in here is that there has to be change. There has to be obedience. Uh, there has to be repentance uh, because you know, just having the demons kicked out clearly isn't enough. There, there has to be something more, uh, to the demons being gone and that's, uh, to, ha to have the Holy spirit in us. And that comes from, uh, I do believe, uh, repentance and obedience. And I know, uh, mentioned Richard Foster's, um, along obedience in the same direction. And that's, I think so often of what we're doing of, of living life day in and day out. And, uh, making an effort to focus on God is that, 
it, it, it doesn't happen quickly. It's a lifelong journey. And, um, I think I definitely think there's people that get weary of that and, and reach a point where they're like, I, you know, um, I don't want to continue, uh, to deal with this struggle. And it's just easier if I become complacent in my faith and, um, do and do what I think is enough, uh, to avoid hell and go to church and proclaim that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and that, um, there isn't much going on or not much life change, uh, going on. Um, uh, other things that just, you know, stood out to me when it says, um, the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will be with this evil generation. And uh, hopefully I can find this quickly here. I believe it's first Peter or maybe it's second Peter. I think it's second Peter two twenty, And it kind of talks about the same uh, idea here. And it's um, pretty, pretty hardcore. So yeah, second Peter, uh, 2.20, if they have escaped the corrup- corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it, than to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. This is one of my favorite proverbs. As a dog returns to a vomit, it's vomit. And a sow, a sow, is that right? Mm-hmm. Why does that sound weird to me? A sow that is washed returns to wallowing in the mud. And um, there is just sort of that, um, you know, what we were talking about earlier of, you know, you've seen it, you know it's of God, and yet you choose to not embrace it and live it. And, uh, you know, it was, it was labeled blasphemy of the Holy spirit earlier in this chapter. And, um, so yeah, to me, there is definitely this sense of if you have experienced God and you know, you've experienced God and then you turn your back on him, it's like, boy, it's almost, it's way worse for you than if you had never really known the truth. Um, and I think, uh, the materialistic world that we live in, uh, gives us all kinds of fun challenges to deal with there. So I don't know. That's my little rant, my soapbox that I got on there. <laughs> it's all good, man. All right. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the conclusion of episode 46. So if you uh, want to check out the show notes, for episode 46, you can do so at masterclassfm.com slash masterclass slash 46. If you want to get in touch, we are at masterclassfm on Twitter. You can get Dave specifically at 10.8HBO, where 8 is the only numeral. And you can get me at Cam Brennan. If your response or question or information requires more than 140 characters you can direct message us or you can email us masterclassfm at gmail.com and be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff that we talked about today 
Any parting words, Dave? No, just good to have been with you tonight. Agreed. Until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.